everybody. Welcome to the Park Church Podcast. I'm your host, James Lapine, and I'm so glad that you have chosen to uh, join us for another month's episode. Uh, every month on this show, we talk with a well-known author or speaker, uh, and we try to distill their thoughts into practical next steps that you can incorporate into your everyday life. Uh, our guest on the show today is Barnabas Piper. He's the author of The Pastor's Kid, Help My Unbelief, and then most recently, The Curious Christian. He also hosts the podcast, The Happy Rant. Uh, we talked about all of his books. We talked about what it's like uh, to grow up a pastor's kid, especially uh, the son of a well-known pastor, a guy named John Piper. Um, we talked about his tattoo uh, and why he got that tattoo. Uh, and then we talked through the best chicken place in Nashville. Uh, so if you're into hot chicken, you'll definitely want to stick around and hear that at the end. Um, and then we also, of course, asked him where he would put a billboard and what that billboard would say. I thought his answer was one of the best that we've heard so far on the show. So uh, stick around for all that. Um, Yep, that's it. We'll get into the interview with Barnabas Piper, and I'll talk to you on the other side. Hey, Barnabas, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to uh, recording with you. Yeah, man. Um, I, I was excited to talk to you. I know that we have some things in common. We're both pastor's kids. Um, my dad actually interviewed... You poor soul. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, and, and you had to go through the, the ringer with my dad talking about your book about being a pastor's kid. Um, and he's been a guest on this show as well. So we've kind of all come full circle. Now you've been on his show. He's been on my show. Now you're on my show. I guess you're going to have to have us both on your show. Maybe is the next step. Oh, is that how this works? I think so. Yeah. Give and take. Yeah. Right. Well, what if I told you we don't do guests on the podcast that I host? It's just sort of like a, a no guest policy. Well, I mean, you could make an exception, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you have enough leverage, I would have to. <laughs> for the Lapines? I mean, come on, man. Um, no, but for people who uh, aren't familiar with your work, tell us, give us the, I know you like to wax eloquently, as you were saying before we went live here, but uh, give us the three minute version of, of the Barnabas Piper story so far. All right, so the three-minute version of the Barnabas Piper story. So I grew up uh, as the son of John Piper. I still am the son of John Piper, actually. That didn't change. Um, I just – hopefully I'm still growing up, too. Um, so I grew up in Minneapolis. My dad was a pastor from before I was born and actually retired from the pastor on my 30th birthday. So that was a very formative uh, shaping thing for me huh. in many positive ways and many challenging ways as well. Um a lot of challenges with finding a spiritual identity in the midst of all that. I think pastor's kids have a number of struggles with scrutiny and just being under the eye of the church. People know who pastor's kids are in a church context, and that leads to expectations, which can lead to frustrations and rebellion and not really being sure who we are and what to pursue. For me, the, the shape it took was uh, just not having an awareness of who I was in Christ. I knew a lot of right answers, knew a lot, a lot of right things I was supposed to be, um, and I and I was a, I was a follower of Christ, but not, but didn't have sort of that resting confidence in my identity in Christ. And that didn't come until my mid twenties. Went through a, a pretty significant spiritual crisis brought about by my own failures, my own sins, and mm-hmm. God used that to to bring me to a place of like I said earlier, kind of that understanding of who I am in Christ, that identity piece. And for me, that was a turning point because the, it was only at that point that I really started to to realize kind of extensions of who I was in terms of 
the gifts God had given me. So mm-hmm. writing being a thing that, that I can do, that a thing that, that God has given me the ability to do, and a thing that I enjoy doing and that connects with people. And and I think, uh, as time has borne it out, serves people and helps them. I mean, that's my aim anyway. Yeah. Um, not, I'm not writing to get rich because myth of publishing number one, <laughs> uh, writers get rich. That's not true. Right. Um, I'm not writing to get famous because fame is way overrated. Having a dad who's very well known, I learned that early. Hmm. Um, so I, I write because I hope I can say something that's beneficial to believers or in helping people become believers. Um, and so the first book I wrote following that, so I started blogging, got got a little bit of notice and some and some opportunities to write on other websites gained enough confidence to think maybe there's a book here um and wrote one called the pastor's kid about finding faith and identity and so that's one that has been um it's been out since and maybe three or four years now um and has been really, really well received by the two people, the two kinds of people I wanted to connect with most, the first being pastor's kids. So it's written from a first person perspective, but sort of a first person collective perspective. So this is our experience. Yeah. Um, not just my story. It's not a memoir or anything like that. Sure. But then the second, the second group is, is pastors, especially younger pastors who, who will respond and say, this book is really beneficial and they have young children and they think this is going to help them avoid some of the mistakes that some pastors make. Hmm. So that's really encouraging. And then as I was writing that book and and processing through my own faith and doubt and struggle uh, issues, I, I, I saw another opportunity to write or another book there, and that was one on faith and doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that book came out about a year later, and it was called Help My Unbelief, Why Doubt is Not the Enemy of Faith. And so that's one just for for people who are questioners. Um, so it's not an apologetics book, but more looking at the nature of how questions and doubts relate to faith and how if we handle our questions well and we handle them humbly, they actually can build our faith as opposed to uh, undermining it. And and then my third book came out uh, just earlier this year, and it's called The Curious Christian. And so it's it's somewhat related to the other two because it, it that thread of questioning connects to it, mm-hmm. but it's more like turning that lens of questions to the broader world. So questions about God, who is God, why does God do what He does? Questions about the world itself, um, and just how curiosity is a discipline and a lens through which we see the world that brings out things we would otherwise miss. So. Mm-hmm why it's vital in relationships and why it's vital in work and in worship and in our spiritual lives and spiritual disciplines and, and in the enjoyment of life and just having fun and, and uh, embracing the world that God created and why it's vital in creativity and, and just sort of how, if you turn curiosity on anything, it brings vibrance and life to it uh, again from, from a, hopefully a biblical and godly perspective. So that's sort of the the writing thread thus far. I'm not working on anything currently because I was tired after the first three. That's the, <laughs> that's the short version. But uh, but yeah, so that, that's the writing life and um, a little bit of personal stuff. I live in Nashville. I work in, uh, I work in publishing on the marketing side of things uh, for B&H Academic Publishers and then Word Search, which is our, our Bible software. Uh, we're part of Lifeway Christian Resources. Um, and then... Yeah, other other than other than writing and work, I have two kids, I have a dog, and I love sports, and that's that's pretty much my life. <laughs> Great. There you go. That was like 
the five minute version, so it was close enough. Um, ah, sorry about no, that. No, 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 no. Like okay. I said, like I said, you ask any author to talk about their books, they're either going to give you a one word answer or they're going to talk endlessly. So, <laughs> no, that was great. Um, a lot of questions came to mind as you were talking, so let's just cycle back through those books and talk about them a little bit more in depth. Um, I just want to say, first of all, uh, you talked about the two groups that you were writing to with the pastor's kid and I pretty much fall into both of them. Um, like I said, my dad is, he hosts a radio show, but he also is the pastor of a church in little rock. Um, and then, uh, I work at a church. I'm the director of operations at park church here in Denver. Um, and we have a, uh, one and a, no, she's 19 months now. Wow. 19 month old, uh, child. So, um, I've already started to wonder about what is her church experience going to be like? How am I going to influence that? So thanks for writing that. It was helpful for me and I'm sure I, I know it's been helpful for others. Um, maybe you start off that book talking a bit about assumptions that people make about pastors, kids. Um, would you tell us a little bit more about what some of those assumptions are? Yeah. Um, man, it's been a long time since I wrote that. So I'm going <laughs> to, you, you, you probably remember them better than I do. I have a knack for forgetting things that I wrote. Um, do you need to go get a but, copy of your book? <laughs> funny thing is I don't even think I have any here. Um, <laughs> let's say I very generously gave them all away or something. You don't have um, them like I, uh, above your desk so you can just look at them every day as you like, like the scene from what about Bob <laughs> when, when he's looking for his book and he's like, let's see, let's see, where is it? Um, no, I, I actually don't have any here, but the, the, back to your question, yeah. the assumptions. Um, I think the pastor's kids are under scrutiny all the time in the church, whether or not people are trying to put them under scrutiny. And with that comes pressure, expectations, and, and some of the assumptions that you mentioned. And so there's, there's the ones that I experienced and confirmed with some other pastor's kids that this is not an uncommon thing. Um, there's an assumption of, I mean, very basically just better behavior, mm-hmm. you know? So the, the phrase that I remember and it, I remember it irritating me and in, in first grade and, uh, you know, every year thereafter to today is you can't do that. You're a pastor's kid mm-hmm. or you shouldn't act like that. You're a pastor's kid as if that's the standard of, morality behavior. And so for me, that was, you know, like it could be anything from running in church. It could be swearing. It could be whatever. I mean, I remember I got, I got a technical file in a church league basketball game for cussing at a referee and, uh, or maybe it was an opposing player. I don't remember somebody who deserved it. I'm sure. But, uh, but, but the reprimand I got was not, that's not sportsmanlike. That's disrespectful. Both of which are very true. But, uh, you're a pastor's kid. That's, that's no way to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, which of course made me want to swear again. Right. And, and so that's, you know, that's one expectation that pastor's kids often face. There's an expectation of sort of spiritual maturity or biblical knowledge. Um, I remember regularly being in Sunday school and, you know, the teacher would ask a question to the class and after an awkward pause where nobody answered heads would just sort of turn and look my direction as <laughs> if like, well, that guy's got it. You know, that's the pastor's kid. He'll answer this one. Right. The problem with that one was was not that I didn't know the answer, but often that I did, which led to a, a sort of a perverse sense of pride for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are pastor's kids who resist that expectation. And they're like, I don't know any more answers than anybody else does. And then there's people like me who develop an ego and a bit of a know-it-all um, persona, which – any friend of mine who hears this will nod that yes, I do have know-it-all persona. <laughs> um, and so there's there's those, um, and then I think I think there's another there's another uh, 
perception that that the pastor's family has it all together mm. in a way. So I remember there there was a stretch during my adolescent years where I just didn't get along with my mom very well. Um, you know, in sort of a typical teenage fashion, yep. just butting heads. She's very strong-willed, and uh, so am I. And we're very similar in a lot of ways, which of course leads to conflict when one of us is an immature 16-year-old and the other <laughs> is not, um, and the other is an authority figure. Right. Uh, and and that was a hard thing for me to 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 either vent about to I don't know a youth leader or to get counsel with because it because I was airing the dirty laundry of the pastor's family when I would talk about like getting in a screaming match with my mother or something mm-hmm. like that. You know that's. And so for, for another teenager, that might be an awkward thing to discuss, but it's just sort of a, a normal thing. It's very normal for a 16-year-old to fight with parents. For a pastor's kid, you're now airing the dirty laundry of the family. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's awkward. That's problematic. That's, you know, that affects people's jobs and people's image. And so with all of these assumptions just comes a certain level of pressure as well as confusion, because those years when those are happening are years when people are trying to figure out who they are mm. and what they believe and what they should believe. And, and so I don't, I don't know what your experience was as a pastor's kid, but those are just some of those, those assumptions and the pressures that come with them. No, yeah, I was chuckling to myself as you were talking. I, I, I experienced some of that as well. And I think I kicked against it maybe more than you did. Just like, hey, don't put that on me. It doesn't matter that I'm Bob Lapine's son. Like, I'm actually James Lapine. Um, so you don't need to treat me differently than you would anybody else. I think, I guess what I'm wondering about right now is like, if you or I could have defined how people treated us or other pastors, kids, I'm thinking about the kids in our church right now. Like if we could decide how they were treated, what does that ideal world look like? I guess it's just, like I said, it's, it's treating them like you would any other kid uh, having patience and grace and knowing that they're going to mess up and it's fine. And yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Any thoughts there? Yeah, I I think the way that you just described it is is spot on. I know that when I so I went into youth ministry for a few years just out of or in college and just out of college, and I know that when I saw a teenage boy um, or a middle school boy, my first thought was not to judge him against his parents. You know, so his dad could be an investment banker, his dad could be blue collar, his he could have no parent, you know, no parents in the picture whatsoever. Hmm. You know, be a be a foster child or whatever. My thought was, who is this child? Who is this kid? What does he need? What does he need spiritually? What does he need support and encouragement wise? Uh, What sort of social like how do how do we get along? There's those basic relational things. Um, But for pastors, kids, that's often all seen through the tinted lens of the pastorate. So there's just sort of this this off color aspect to things where it's it's just not quite normal and people don't relate in a normal way. And I know that the most significant relationships I had, especially with thinking of youth leaders, but also just good friends, were those who could not have cared less who my parents were. Right. They they were willing to to tell me to shut up when I needed to be told to shut up or to pick me up when I needed to be picked up, mm. um, to point out things about me that they saw as, hey, this is a gift that God gave you, not, hey, that's because your last name is Piper. Mm. Like That's the thing that people don't realize is that when you – if everything comes through the lens of the pastor, nothing is owned by the pastor's kid, not right. gifts and not sins. Like Nothing is theirs. And yeah. so there's it's sort of a weird disembodied experience. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's spot on. That's really helpful. I think uh, I, I'm grateful that we can just talk honestly about it and uh, hopefully shed some light so that um, 
some of those expectations uh, go away. Um, it, let me let's shift gears. Let's go. Let's go to uh, the book. Help my unbelief. Um, you said that some of the realizations that you made while you were writing the pastor's kid led to, if I understand correctly, both a tattoo and a book. Is that right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I got. I think I. Let me think. Um, I can't remember which one came first. I think the tattoo came first, um, or maybe it came during the writing process. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it was. It was so during, like I mentioned, during my mid twenties, went through this this time of spiritual crisis. Um, and one of the things that that a key mentor told me during that time was he encouraged me to revisit the gospels and just begin seeking to see and meet Jesus in a way that was outside of Sunday school teaching, outside of of systematic theology, outside of because at that point I graduated from Wheaton College, I had a Bible degree. I was I was sort of over inundated hmm. with biblical teaching starting at birth up through, you know, age 25 <laughs> or whatever I was at that point. Right. And uh and so and he's just like go figure out who Jesus is. Yeah. This you know, using God's word to tell you, which is a which is a really good thing to do, and but also really hard. And so I started moseying my way through Matthew and trying hard to see something that I didn't already think I knew, mm. and got an Mark doing the same thing. I made it about halfway through Mark and got to Mark nine, and it's the story of the father of the demon possessed son, who brings him to Jesus. It's right after Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration, and the, the disciples could not cast the demon out. And um, the man says, can you help me? And Jesus says, I can if you believe. And the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. Right. And I remember reading it, and that just was sort of a, that was when this, the, the clouds split and the light opened up. And just like a ray of light that was just like, oh, this this is the truth of Christianity, hmm. the one that I had not connected with, that reality of I believe which was true for me at the time, but help my unbelief. This this profound statement of humility and doubt and questions and and simply I don't know yeah. the ability to say I don't know I don't understand, um, and that's what the father said and he and he said it to the son of God. He didn't sort of say it to a friend and then airbrush it for public <laughs> consumption. He he said this in front of a crowd to the son of God and and so that became a thing that that was that was shaping for me and not in a mantra way. Cause I think mantras get cheap over time, hmm. but just in this, like a paradigm way, right. this is for me, the paradigm of what faith looks like. Hmm. There's this profound conviction of belief. I believe in God's word and God's character and God's promises and God's, God's work, what he has done and what he will do. And then there's a whole lot of, I don't know, and a whole lot of struggles and a whole lot of doubts and sins that need to be uh, done away with and sanctified and and that's that's the Christian life. Yeah. And so it was it was that 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 sort of gave birth to that book and trying to present that paradigm so both biblical conviction but not in a simplistic way, mm. but in a way that allows for and even encourages people to say to say I don't know, to say help my unbelief, to to face their doubts, to process through their doubts and to realize that those things don't anger God uh, or or distance people from God unless they turn into rebellion. You know, sure. doubt, doubt can be rebellious, but sure. it can also just be, I mean, if when your child gets older and they come to you and ask you a question, you're not going to be like, why don't you know that? Mm -hmm. Well, they're a child. Of course they don't know. You have the capacity to know. They don't. That's God with us. He has the capacity to know. 
and we don't or we don't yet right. and so and so it's it's that sort of that paradigm and trying to bring that to to the reader to say here's truth here's doubt here's how they fit together to to grow your faith mm. yeah yeah I, I don't know if you referenced it in the book but i always think of um jacob wrestling with god whenever these types of things come up as another mm-hmm. comforting passage of scripture where God, it seems like encourages us to, to wrestle with him and to, to not let go, um, until he's given a blessing or an answer or something like that. Um, that, I, yeah, go that's on. a fascinating story because it's so enigmatic because you have Jacob wrestling with God, um, not, you know, not being able to overpower him. Right. And then in the end, God shows his power because all he does is touch J- Jacob's hip socket, basically throws it out of joint. So leaves Jacob with a limp. Yeah shows his power but also gives him a blessing and a promise yeah and so it's, it's just this weird blend of of wrestling of blessing <laughs> of consequences in some way uh-huh. um all, all of which are are just resonate with i think with the human experience of trying to walk out the life of of the christian faith yeah yeah, yeah and it's I, I think it's easy when you're in the comfort of a home or a college or whatever it might be. I mean, I remember maybe eighth or ninth grade going through my Bible and, and highlighting all the verses that supported Calvinism. Okay. So I was one of those kids. <laughs> I laugh at you because, uh, I, I think my parents just gave me a Bible where all those were highlighted. I don't know. It's I, I, I know, I know the type. I was the type. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, first I was given chosen by God by RC Sproul. Right. And then, I went to find all the verses that supported Sproul's arguments. Um, but there, there's a certain freedom in just going, man, like, like you said, there's still biblical conviction. There's still things that we hold with a closed fist. Um, but, but the, the number of things on that list have at least for me gotten a lot smaller. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's been super freeing, not in like a, I'm not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just not trying to say life is so simple that I can just look at the Bible and explain everything to everybody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yes. I, I think I think those of us who come from a very reformed background, um, or who or who at one point entered into that with great vigor, the the cage stage Calvinist, if you will, um, <laughs> try to systematize everything. Yeah. You know, systematic theology is our go to, and. And so what happens very easily is we try to we try to mash God into into a system into five points here seven points there mm. all of the ologies you know yeah and and uh, and we fail to recognize the just the mystery of the depths of God even mm. though the Bible tells us very explicitly you know that He is the the depths of the riches of the glory of God that his knowledge is too wonderful for us i mean it, there's just verse after verse that that lay out the the infinity of god mm. that <clears throat> destroy our attempts at at systemizing and or systematizing i don't know what the word is but uh yeah. either way like we we still try to do that and and so the more that we can let go of unhelpful systems and that's not to say all of them but mm. unhelpful ones or to to see those for what they are, hmm. you know, it's it's an explanation, yeah. but it is not the gospel explanation. Hmm. Um, that's I think that helps us to see more of God as well as to connect the gospel with a variety of people we otherwise might have missed. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So is that coming out of help my unbelief? I feel like the curious Christian allows you. And by the way, nice job on the alliteration. 
you know the Christian crowd loves alliteration, so good job with that. Christian crowd, that's that's good. You oh! just did it yourself. Oh dang, I didn't well even done. mean to. Wow. And well, that's that's the that shows a true ministry mind right there. If you can alliterate by accident, <laughs> ministry mind. What we're just like we could go all day, back and forth. That's right. Um, you opened your yourself up to some of those epistemological questions, um, allowing God to be mysterious and unknowable. Um, and, and seeing him in places where maybe you hadn't before. I don't know. Tell, tell us a little bit um, more about uh, that book. And maybe here's a more question, uh, a better question, because I don't like it when people just say, tell me more about that. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> curiosity leads us to ask why. Um, kids mm-hmm. ask why all the time. There's a childlike wonder of why does this happen? Why is that happening? Um, it, how should this impact the way that Christians view and think about the world? Yeah, it's that that is a that that is a that's a very big question, a right. really a really good one to consider, I think. Um so yeah, the the help my unbelief was was on the spiritual side of things, the the very god-focused side of things was was what opened my eyes to and began the the wheels turning on questions about God and engaging the mystery of God and the depths of God. And I want to be careful. When I say the mystery of God, I think there are people who will get turned off because Mm. they'll hear me saying God cannot be understood. Mm. So let me, let me give a one, just a, a real brief. I don't believe God can be fully understood, but I do believe that God's word gives us a clear and perfect revelation of everything we need to know about God. Yeah. And so that that that's that's it right there. So there are there are depths to God that we cannot and will not ever understand but that we ought to explore and scripture is the window into who God is. So that is our revelation and it is everything we need. So yeah. that but but and that's what I took into the curious Christian to say okay this is the this is the foundation for curiosity. The the simple idea that we were created to be image bearers of God, but God is infinite and perfect, and we are finite and flawed. Hmm. Um, again, alliteration. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and so, if and if those things are both true, God is infinite and perfect. We're finite sinners. How do we how do we reflect God to the world? I think the answer is curiosity, that intentional exploration of who God is, and then applying that same idea of exploration to the world because you see it in the way that God created people as this widely varied collection of cultures and races and gifts. Mm. Uh, You see it in Ephesians where he lays out the spiritual gifts and says, you know, no, no two people are alike, but everybody was gifted to serve the church. Mm. And so there's, there's just this, this wealth of creative wonder that God has made and we should be exploring it, appreciating it, reflecting it, refining it, and and only through curiosity do we begin to engage that. Yeah. And so so it's on the spiritual side, it leads us deeper into a relationship with God. As we turn it towards the world and towards other people, it just it draws us deeper into relationship with people. It breaks down barriers. You think about some of the racial and political um, tensions. Tensions isn't even a, doesn't begin to cover it that that exists in our country right now between political parties, between black people and white people. Mm. Um, and, and other, you know, and other races as well. Yeah. Intentional curiosity is, is a key step to breaking down the things that stand between me and my minority brothers and sisters, because Mm. I do not understand them. Mm. I did not live their life. I didn't walk in their shoes. 
I haven't experienced what they experienced, and the only way that I can understand that in any way, shape, or form is to pursue an understanding with intentional curiosity with the intent of being a reflection of God's love to them and seeing God's love reflected back and God's character reflected back. So do I see God's image in those people? And so this is and this is just an example of how curiosity begins to to kind of raise the water level for image bearers. Yeah. So it, it just it lifts us in intentionality and effectiveness. And so the book is, I mean, the book's not a long book, but the, it's just to try to kind of take a snapshot at different areas of life and different ways of thinking about this to unlock ways that people maybe had not felt free to be curious or not realize they could or should be. And so to offer permission and freedom and clarity in some of those kinds of things. That's good. And, and I think there's an inherent humility and curiosity. Um, I, I know that I have definitely been guilty of entering into a conversation under the, uh, the guise of, I really want to hear your side of it and your perspective, but in the back of my mind, like I actually kind of already know the answer. Um, and so I'll let you talk, but at some point I'm going to tell you what's really going on. Um, yeah, it's, it's the Kanye attitude. You know, I'm gonna let you finish, but <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think over the past couple of years, the Holy spirit has been teaching me what it, what it means to actually sit down with someone and go, okay, help me understand. Like, like really, I'm actually really curious. I really care. I, I am totally open to the idea that I do not have this figured out. Um, and that there are things that I can learn from you. Um, and so that's just like, like mid twenties whiteness getting, uh, beaten out of me, I guess. Um, but it, it sounds like if there are listeners who are still struggling with that, that this book would maybe help them open up to, to other possibilities. Is that right? I, I sure hope so. I think you're, I think when, when you brought up humility, you, this is an audio medium, so you couldn't see, but I was nodding vigorously. Mm. Um, because I think the basic premise of, of, uh, of curiosity is, I don't know. Right. I don't know everything. I don't know. I don't know. And yeah. so that's why curiosity happens. I don't know that about God, so I'm going to explore. I don't know that about a person, so I'm going to listen. Right. And and that is I mean that is a that is a powerful thing to just sort of get to that place of I don't know, but I want to I want to find the truth. Yeah. I want to find what is what is reflected of God in this situation or this person or this art or whatever. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I, I hope that I hope that it's a book that that is freeing to people. I mean, I hope it's a corrective in some ways, but I really want it to be a um an eye opener yeah. where people feel free and people feel pushed and inspired. It's it. I'm not trying to attack anyone in this, but just to say, Hey, if you pursue it this way, look at all the things God could do. Sure. Yeah. I, I had Jamar Tisby on the podcast a couple months ago or something, and he recommended this book divided by faith. Uh, and I've been mm -hmm. reading through that over the past couple of months and it has been, uh, totally eye opening. So I just think of experiences like that, that I'm, I'm grateful for. Um, and so maybe this yeah, that's book, a, that's a fantastic book. Oh my gosh. It can be dense at times. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I do not like go for the research heavier stuff. Um, but the content is, is worth slogging through. And I know that mm -hmm. some people would go, that's not a slog. Have you read John frame? And I'm like, no, I actually haven't read John frame. And I, probably, <laughs> I probably won't slog. Slog is relative. Yeah, no, it totally is. Um, okay. We're going to go into rapid fire. Uh, and then, you can tell us where else we can find your work now that we've covered those books. Um, but let's do this. Tell me your favorite TV show, movie, and or book that you've watched or read recently. 
Oh, recently? Yeah. Uh, let's see. TV show recently. Um, Stranger Things. I've never watched Stranger Things. I think the I think the uh, I think the best TV show best TV shows that I've watched in the last couple of years. I went back and, and watched the show Justified, okay. which is uh, which is a, it's a it's sort of like an old western but set in modern day and in Eastern Kentucky, <laughs> and it's 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 brilliantly written. It's really funny. Also a great sort of cop action show. Um, but then also the Get Down. Have you seen the Get no, Down? No, I haven't. Okay, it's a uh, it's a Netflix show, and it's uh, it's directed by Baz Luhrmann, who did um, Great Gatsby. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So he does he does these sort of big, visually almost visually overstimulating. Yeah. This is much more subdued than that in terms of the the like the visuals, but it still has that sort of funky offbeat thing, and it's about the birth of hip hop in the age of disco in the Bronx, New York. Oh, and wow. it's, so it follows a bunch of teenagers around and it's, you know, so it's sort of a musical, but also drama. It's really, it's, it's hard to describe because it's really, really cool. And it'll be <laughs> one of those things that some people love, some people hate yeah. because it's Baz Luhrmann. Right. Um, and then let's see book that I've read. Uh, there's a book called strong and weak by Andy Crouch. Yes. Uh, and if you don't like dense books, this is a really good one. Cause it's like 130 pages long. <laughs> And it's it's a look at how power and vulnerability combine to be true, must combine in true Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's just Crouch is brilliant at creating really helpful paradigms for understanding truth. This is just another good example of that. We had him out to Park Church with who did he come with? Oh, with Andy Wilson, um, and he gave a talk that was Wilson's also brilliant. Yeah, he is. They were both so fun to hang out with. Um, he gave a talk that was the early stages of power and weak, uh, or is it, is that what it's strong and weak, strong and weak, sorry, strong and weak. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh man, I can't wait, wait to read this. And I had forgotten that it had come out. So thank you for that reminder. Definitely. We'll check that yeah. out. And it's, and again, it's, it's a, it's a short read. It's not, you know, some big 300 page thing, but it's every page has one or two just like packets of truth in there in a paragraph that you just read and reread and underline and, and then you right. go back and revisit. I don't revisit a lot of books because most books aren't worth revisiting, mm. um, but that one definitely is. Nice. Um, iPhone or Android? iPhone. Glad to hear it. That's, although I, I don't say that like a like an, uh, an evangelist. I say it because Apple has sucked me into their universe, so I'm recording this on a uh, MacBook. I have an iPad to my right. Yeah. I have an iPhone, and so once you're in the Apple universe... There's no going back. You can't really escape. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Um, I think I know the answer to this one, but best meal that you've had recently? Best meal that I've had recently. Wait, you know the answer to this question? I figured you'd say the dry ribs at uh, that place in Nashville. At, at Peg Leg Porker? Yeah. Well, I haven't had those as recently as I would like. Those are the best ribs in Nashville, yes. There's a place called Peg Leg Porker. No, I think the best meal I've had recently was I went with the team that I work on to a place called um, Stony River Steakhouse in Nashville, and they have a coffee-cured filet. So it's sort of – it, yeah, so they, I think they, they, they sort of marinate it in coffee grounds, I think. Huh. Okay. So it's not like crunchy like that, but it just has a little bit of that, that dark coffee flavor cooked medium rare. It's almost tender enough to cut with a fork. Wow. It's amazing. It doesn't even matter what you get with it. I think I got asparagus and, and potatoes, and but whatever. The steak itself was <laughs> incredible. Nice. Um, what's the nerdiest thing that you're into? The thing that you kind of don't want to tell me about? Oh, let's see. The nerdiest thing I'm into. Um, I don't know if this is truly nerdy, but it's, it's embarrassing it would be embarrassing for some guys, and I think some people kind of look at me funny. I have really gotten into reading poetry. Okay. Um, 
and just and, and not in any sort of studious way, but just because as somebody who writes, I I want to learn how to write better. And I think poets poets are the best because yeah. they can do things with words and sentences and metaphors and allusions. And so it's for me, it's just sort of an exploration of figuring out what is this, like what's beautiful and what's good and what wor- what works and what what do I like and what don't I like. So um, so I'd say over the last year just sort of beginning to to wade in the waters of poetry and then also dabble in writing it. Um, but those will never see the sun because <laughs> that's the embarrassing part because those are, I'm sure they're just trash and I don't have the, uh, I don't have the cojones to post those anywhere and get people's feedback. That is what all poets think. Barnabas, come on. Uh, that's what I'm told, yeah. but I don't even think of myself as a poet. So still not going to post them. <laughs> Where should people start if they want to get started with poetry? Oh man, I would just say buy buy a collection. Okay. Um, you know, so one of those like there's there's just collections of great American poems or the most popular poems, and then just find what you like. Uh, I think that the thing that hung me up for a while was trying to like the poems that are classics mm. instead of liking the poems that I like. Yeah. Um. So if there's if you want to start with people want to, so you can do that. Th- there's also a a collection that Garrison Keillor put together, and I think it's just called Good Poems. It's a blue cover. <laughs> And it's just – and he even says in there, he's like, no, these are not classically great poems. These are just ones that we have used over the years in radio programming and stuff that people really liked. Hmm. So it's it's a lot of just real life in poetry. Some of them are by famous people. Some of them are by people you've never heard of. And uh, I'd say I resonated more with that than like the the great classic works sure. of poetry. Um, I, I don't – like for example, I can't stand William Shakespeare's poetry. Okay. I just – I don't get it. Yeah. But – I really, really like some of the ones that are about like a dog sleeping on a porch on a sunny afternoon. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, it probably says something about me. <laughs> um, okay, another Nashville question. What's the best chicken place there? Uh, let's see. I think the best hot chicken is Prince's. Okay. With Hattie B's being a decent second, and uh, then there's a bunch of there's a bunch of other places that are trying to get into the game, but I think Prince's takes the cake. It's yeah. the original right. hot chicken place. Right. And have you heard the story about hot chicken? I have. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's a great story. So the guy comes home. He keeps coming home drunk, right? And he likes fried chicken when he's drunk. And his wife makes him this super hot chicken thinking that he'll hate it and he loves it, right? Isn't that how it goes? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple versions of the story. And it, it's either coming home drunk or coming home and she suspects that he's he's uh, cheating on her. And oh, so, yeah, okay. makes like this just this blazing hot chicken in an attempt to to deter him, to punish him. Yeah. And he loves it. <laughs> and that's how Prince's hot chicken was born. Oh um, and I will say if you are, if you are not a spicy food person, their mild would be considered hot in the Midwest. Okay. Their medium would kill a Midwesterner. <laughs> their hot would, would, I mean, it, it, they, there's not even a spice that hot in the Midwest. Yeah, so, right. um, just, just to give a sense of scale. Got it. Okay. Well, now we have places to visit next time we're in Nashville. This is good. Yep, um, leg porker, Prince's hot chicken, and the and the steakhouse. Yes, and Stony River. If you're going in for something a little fancier. Okay. Um, okay. Last of the rapid fires, and I steal this one from Tim Ferriss. I just like this question a lot. He says, "If you could put a billboard anywhere in the world, where would you put it, and what would it say?" Oh, the Tim Ferriss questions. Um, Come on. Let's see. So good. I'm going to, while I think I'm going to make fun of the people on his podcast, because they're always like, I would put a billboard above the 10 in LA. I just say love. And it's such a st- <laughs> um, 
I think I would put a billboard somewhere near a prominent public library with the, just the words that says free books here. Hmm. Cause I think people forget how easy it is to just go get tons of free books at libraries. <laughs> I mean, that's what they are. Right. <laughs> I mean, I forget sometimes and then I take my kids and I'm like, Oh wait, I don't need to figure out if I have the budget to buy the new whatever on Amazon. Like I can come, I can come get any new release book here. And if I, and if they don't have it, they'll order it for me. And I don't pay a dime. It's just it's this great That's local tax-funded service. And yeah. so, yeah, free books here above uh, above some public library. That's good. Well done. Um, okay, where can people find your blog and your podcast? Uh, it's, yeah, pretty straightforward. If you go to BarnabasPiper.com, that is that's where uh, it's where my blog is. It's where you can find out about any speaking things I have going on. It's also where the podcast, The Happy Rant, is housed. Uh, it's just there's a podcast tab on there. You can also go to HappyRantPodcast.com, but it'll just redirect you to the first place. So <laughs> BarnabasPiper.com, and I'm on Twitter at BarnabasPiper and share most of the stuff that I write. And Twitter's my favorite to interact and and keep up with people. So hit okay. me up there too. Okay, great. And we will uh, we will link all the resources that we talked about here on the show, including to his books and to his blog. Uh, so y'all can go to parkchurchdenver.org slash podcast, and then you'll see Barnabas. Uh, you'll see his picture and name there. So just click on there to find the show notes and uh, all the resources that we've mentioned here. Uh, Barnabas, thank you again for the time. This was a great chat, and uh, we're grateful for the work that you're doing. Thank you. I've loved being on with you. <laughs> all right, man. Take care. Have a good one. Alrighty, that'll do it for our interview with Barnabas Piper. Thanks again, Barnabas, for coming on the show. As I mentioned there at the end, you can go to parkchurchdenver.org slash podcast and find links to everything that we talked about. Uh, go get one of Barnabas's books. Go get two of them. Go buy all three. He's a good writer. I think uh, they will be helpful for you. So if what we talked about resonated, go grab one of those books. Check out his blog and follow him on Twitter. Um, and while you're doing all the all of these things that I'm just telling you to do, hop into iTunes and rate and review us there. That will help other people find the show. Uh, so if you like it and you want other people to know about it, you can either do that or you can just text a friend right now and just say, hey, this podcast was so good and I think you should listen to it. Or post about it on your Facebook. Stop posting pictures of your dog or your food or your baby and post about this podcast instead. I think that would be a wise decision for you. So just a little social media advice for you this month. Uh, we'll see what, what I'm advising you on next month. Uh, and by the way, we will be having round two of Mike Cosper uh, for next month's episode. His new book is out, um, and I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm going to wait and let him tell you about it next month. But I'm very excited for that. He was our first guest ever on this show, uh, and he's agreed to come on and, and, and go through this awful process again. So we're excited for that, and uh, hopefully you'll be tuning in, and you'll all of your friends that you told about on Facebook will be tuning in as well. I'm going to stop talking now. Have a great November. November is an amazing month. I hope you have a great November. I'll talk to you in December. Bye-bye.